Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift and blessing of the beauty of your creation, Lord, for this opportunity to raise our voices in praise to you, for this chance to pause from our busy lives, Lord, and to seek your peace and grace and your instruction and guidance, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us today, speak to all of us, move profoundly in our hearts, Lord, quell our anxieties and fears. Pray that you would comfort us in our sorrow and our grief. Pray that you would wash away our shame. And that you would be with us and rejoice in the joys and in the pleasures of our lives too, Lord. And we pray that you would reveal yourself profoundly during this service. Please guide me to speak your words today, Lord. And guide us all into a deep and profound relationship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. As you have mentioned many times so far, uh, my brother and his wife just had their first child, a little girl. Her name is Maze, and she is just a precious little peanut. But I noticed something startling in her birth, something that I'd forgotten about with my own children. I noticed that when she was born, she didn't have any stuff with her, (laughs) right? They don't come out like fully dressed and with like a bassinet and all those things that, did you, have you, you knew this already, right? Yeah, you're a lot sharper than I am. I thought it was something we need to get the word out, but apparently it's already out there. She did not come out with all the equipment and the supplies that she needed to survive in this world, right? Those needed to be provided from outside, from my brother and his wife and all the gifts that people have given them. And I know this doesn't shock you, but it's also worth taking notice of something that you probably are aware of as well, and that is that despite the belief of the pharaohs, we cannot take anything with us when we die, right? Um, that's why all those things are still sitting down underneath the pyramids in Egypt is because they didn't get to take it when they died either. They're still there. Now, I know these things don't come as surprises to you, but they must be a surprise to somebody because the way we live our lives often speaks of another reality, doesn't it? Don't we see a lot of people, and ourselves included, living as though everything gets to go with them when they die? Right, all the accumulation, all the wealth, all the possessions, all that kind of stuff. So let's look at what sparked my mind to think about this, okay? In our passage from Paul's first letter to Timothy, we have some awesome teaching on life and in particular on wealth. Paul tells the young pastor Timothy, who is serving churches in Ephesus, he says there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. What do you think? True? Yeah, that's right. I thought you would say so, right? Great gain in godliness combined with contentment. Gold star for you all today. Well done. Um, We all agree with that statement. It sounds good. Godliness and contentment is a great gain, having those things together. And the next thing he says is, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. True? True, absolutely, yeah? Okay. And the third thing, But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. True? You sound a little more um, 
unsure. You're kind of vacillating on your answer here. Is it true if we have food and clothing, we will be content? No. There, you sound a little more assertive. I like that strong answer. So we had a yes, a yes, and a no in terms of that first sentence. Godliness and contentment are a great gain. We've brought nothing in this world. We can take nothing out. It's true, although seldom lived out. The last part, though, is more ambiguous. We know we wrestle with this in this world. Because in this life, we often find ourselves craving more than food and clothing, right? Shelter, maybe? Anyone a fan of a house? Yeah, roof over your head, or how about you have that house? Anyone like to have a heater in it? Yeah, or air conditioning in the summer? Or windows? Or a floor that's not dirt? Or power, right, power, or a microwave, or a new stove, or a... Where are we going on this train? We know this route, don't we? It's the route we all take in our minds, right? Or maybe it's something simpler like a bike, and maybe we want a bigger bike, or a better seat on it, or more gears, or, you know, it goes that way, it always goes that way. Or maybe we have a car, but we want a newer car. One that breaks down fewer times. And we get the newer car. And what do we find out about the newer car? It costs money to maintain it, right? And we realize also that, oh, look at that touchscreen infotainment center. It's really hard to use that when I drive. And so we start thinking, I wish it had this or I wish it had that. This is the human condition we find ourselves. We get the things we want and when we get them, what do we discover? We want more, or we're not satisfied in that. Paul is warning here that there is danger in this line of thinking, in this line of pursuit after the next thing, what's always over the next hill, that that can lead to some destructive behaviors and beliefs. It's the hamster wheel of wealth and possessions. We find ourselves always running and running and running, And where do we go? Nowhere. Nowhere. Paul says it like this, certainly more articulate than I am. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. I mean, we have to think really hard to find an example of people pursuing wealth and power that led to ruin and destruction, don't we? No, we don't have to think very hard, do we, right? We know this pattern. We know the Bernie Madoff and all that kind of stuff, right? We know the way this goes because we see it all the time. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. The problem with that path, that pursuit of rich riches, is that it often leads to people being trapped, right? You buy the new house, the new car, then you have to work harder to pay for it, right? You get the bigger place, and it takes more. There's always this, it's very rarely does our spending stay below our income, right? Almost never do we say, gosh, I got all this money, I wish I had things to spend it on. You almost never hear people say that. 
And we find that as we try to make that next step and pay for that next thing, hoping that it'll satisfy us, it never does. And it ends up taking time away from friends or family or church or ultimately our faith, right? It, it's, it's, we're undermining ourselves because it's revealing that we're putting our hope, we're putting our joy, we're putting our life into something else, our energy into that. Therefore, Paul encourages Timothy, Timothy to pursue another way. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Paul knew and Timothy knew that those pursuits would never leave you feeling empty. Those were eternal pursuits. You can take those things with you when you go. And they lead to peace and hope and the blessing of others. And then he concludes with a warning that Timothy is to include in his own teaching. He says, As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Timothy is encouraging the wealthy to trust in the Lord and not in their bank account, to hold fast to God and to be generous with others. For it is in this proper balance of life that they may find true treasure bless others, and take hold of the life that is truly life, both here and for eternity. Now there's a problem, right? There's a fly in the ointment, and that is that Paul's words are profoundly contradictory to the common American teaching, this worldview that we live in, right? That we should all pursue wealth and financial security. And not only should we pursue it, but sometimes we start to feel that we deserve it right? We deserve it. We ought to be rich. But for those of us who are in it, who are in this world, we know that this pursuit, does it, does it bring peace? This pursuit of wealth, status, does it bring happiness and contentment? No, doesn't at all. Doesn't at all. It seems to just bring bigger bills to support a bigger lifestyle. I think about it in my own life, right? Starting out as an E1 in the Army, right? Big money, I know. Big money. It was kind of like being an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. Um, no, we qualified for food stamps, right? Tara and I were newly married, new enlisted in the Army, trying to make ends meet. Were we happy? Absolutely. Absolutely. Did we want to make more money? Yes, of course, but life was good, right? We had each other, we had, the world was full of opportunity and potential. We were just enjoying that time. At the next promotion, we were able to just sock away all the extra money and just continue our standard of living. And then ever since then, right, everything's just been gravy. Is that true? No, it's not at all. As soon as we got the next promotion, where'd that next paycheck go? I have no idea, but it was gone. It was gone. And every subsequent one after that, 
We kept thinking, oh, if we just keep this level here, we'll be able to invest and save and do all that stuff. But what happened is that level of income rose. What else rose? <laughs> Expenses. And they always seem to rise faster. How does that work? How did it work? So we always found ourselves grinding away. Right? That, that oasis off in the distance of security, peace and contentment always seemed another mile further down the road than, when we were, than where we expected it to be. Right? It just keeps moving. And with it brought more anxieties, right? More anxieties, more troubles, more things to maintain, more things to fix, more things to replace. Right? A higher standard of living to try to stick to. Did that make me happy? Sure, I liked having some of those things, right? But it didn't bring contentment or peace by any means. So let's pause for a second here. And let's think, because Paul seems to be referencing wealthy people or the rich, right? So where does it start? Where does that level start? Where does rich start? Or where does wealthy start? Well, almost universally, people consider that wealth starts somewhere above them, right? Or richness starts somewhere above them, right? No matter who you ask, they're like, well, you know, Solomon had more than me, right? No, you, you always seem to think it's that next person, that next step. That's where, that's where financial security is. That's where wealth is. That's where all that resides. The challenge is, is that according to a 2017 article by the Foundation for Economic Education, the typical American household today enjoys the highest standard of living of any period in this country's history. It's so extreme that nearly all American families live a life of more affluence and comfort than John D. Rockefeller did at the height of his wealth. Right? I mean, not everyone lives like that, right? But the average American does. Right? Think about all the things we have and the comforts we have, the pleasures we can enjoy. So even if we accept this with a few grains of salt or a few caveats, who is this article saying is rich? Me, right? And you, every one of us. We are rich. And if this is true, then who was Paul warning about the uncertainty of riches? Us. Us. Therefore, the solution, as it is so often the case in our Christian life, is the only way to live with riches is to die to them. The story of death and resurrection. Right? To die to them to let go of our control of them, to let go of putting our hopes in them, to just let go of all of that and to put our trust in God himself and his provision for us. Tim, or Paul says it like this, to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for yourself the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that you may take hold of the life that really is life. And don't we want that? Don't we want the life that really is life? Not the life we found, 
pursuing the things of this world that always seems to let us down. But the life that really is life, that does not disappoint, that does not leave us feeling empty or overstuffed afterwards, but the life that really is life. And in the finding of that life to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, to fight the good fight of the faith, and to take hold of the eternal life to which we were called. That is what Paul is challenging us to today. And it is a hard message for us sitting in the 21st century in America to hear. Because so much in us says, no, no, I'm going to keep trying this. I'm going to keep trying this American way and see where it takes me. We know where it goes. We know where it leads. And so I think it's helpful to think about my niece, this little child, right? She came into this world with nothing, with nothing. But what did she have? She had love. Her mom and her dad love her. And they care for her. And when she cries, they jump out of bed in the middle of the night. And they comfort her. When she's cold, they clothe her. When she's hot, they seek to cool her. When she's hungry, they try to feed her. That's how God relates to us. That's how he wants to relate to us. Not to have us insulated by wealth and possessions from him and to say, it's all right, God, I got this all on my own here. No, but to be like a child and to commit ourselves to his arms and his provision. For in doing so, in laying in the arms of God, we find the life that truly is life and a hope that cannot be taken away. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being the God of mercy and grace, the God of comfort and peace. Lord, we come to you like children. Lord, sometimes unruly children who think we can do it on our own, who think we've got it all figured out. But now, Lord, help us to come to you as a newborn child, one who has realized or is unable, knows they are unable to do things on their own, and so cries out to you in need, in fear, in hope, in joy, in anticipation. Help us, Lord God, to find our sustenance in you, to find our peace in you, to find our joy in you, to find our love in you, and our hope and purpose in you. Lord God, help us to live this new way, this way of sacrifice, this way of generosity. Lord, you've entrusted so much to us. And sometimes it's so overwhelming and we get taken over by, uh, by the, the interests of this world. And so help us, Lord, to live a different way and to commit all that we have and all that we are and all that we think and all that we do to you and to bless others with the gifts you have entrusted to us. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.